Well, we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1 today, uh, the second latter half of Mark chapter 1. And as I mentioned last week, um, in the Gospel of Mark, we see the identity of Jesus being affirmed. We see the works of Jesus being highlighted. Jesus is very uh, active in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, compared to some of the other Gospels, there's more lengthy teachings uh, that, 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 that Matthew and Luke and John give. But Mark is, is more concise and he is focused in on the actions of Jesus, the works of Jesus, um, and which affirm the identity of Jesus, which he stated at the very first verse in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And his works affirm that. And another element we talked about is, is how G, what Jesus calls his followers to in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to get a little glimpse of that here in the first chapter. He calls us to follow him, to take up our cross in Matthew, Mark chapter 8. Uh, he emphasizes, but Jesus came to bring the change that you and I need. Okay, as I mentioned a, a few weeks ago, at the beginning of the year, many people are focused on change in their lives. Whether it's uh, diet, whether it's exercise, whether it's a new job or a new habit or uh, uh, just uh, cleaning the house. You know, let's, let's reorganize, let's clear up, let's declutter, let's, we need some change. Because this old way of doing things has not worked very well. Okay? And Jesus came to bring us that lasting change that we all needed. And actually, He came preaching that we should change. That He demands change. And He not only demands it, but He empowers it. And so we're going to look at that. In Mark chapter 1, we're going to see Jesus in action. We're going to see Him changing people's lives. For the better. I've titled this message, King Jesus in Action. Turn in your Bibles to Mark 1.14. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up on the screen here. Father, as we open your word, as we dig in, as we get a, a glimpse of Jesus in action, would you ignite joy and delight in our hearts, uh, appreciation and adoration and awe in our hearts, centered on the person of Jesus, and would you strengthen our allegiance to follow Jesus? Would you bring the change into our lives that we need, that comes from the power of the gospel? And may you work through our lives to impact many others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. John chapter 1 verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, this is John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, 
who were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's our big idea this morning, that Jesus displayed the power of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom message that he declared, and it deserves our response. Jesus displayed the power of the kingdom message that he declared, and it deserves, and not only deserves, but demands our response. Okay? Um... And when, I'm, when I say a response, I'm not talking about a, a, a light response like you have on Facebook. When, when you see something that you like, you give it a thumbs up. Okay? Or if you really like it, you give it a heart. Or, or, if, or you like it and you, you just care. You, just, you care about it. You give it a, a, a heart with a care emoji on there, right? There's different responses that we can give. Uh, when we see stuff on social media. And Jesus calls for all of our being to be devoted to Him in response to who He is. He calls for a change of life, a change of mind. He calls for a trust. He calls for allegiance. He calls for a commitment to discipleship and following Him wherever He may lead. Amen? Not simply a click on the social media, I'll follow you, Jesus. And stay up with your post. It's a following Jesus wherever He leads us in life and whatever He calls us to lay down. Because He is the King. Because He is the Son of God. He is who the Bible uh, uh, affirms and bears witness that He is. The Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the King. And so He's worthy of our allegiance. He's worthy of our response. He deserves it. And so the message, first point, is the message and the authority of Jesus demand a response. Jesus was proclaiming good news. He had good news to announce, the gospel to announce. As we, we talked about last week, this is joyful tidings, an announcement of joyful tidings that was uh, often that was used in uh, the first century as uh, there was a victory. A, 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 a military victory or a new, new leader. There's good news to announce. And here's Jesus, the Lord, the, the Son of God, the King of Kings, who breaks into human history. And He comes to bring the kingdom of God on earth to change lives and transform lives. And He has good news to proclaim. Because the world is, is, has been in a post-Genesis 3 state. Uh, uh, the world has been broken and marred by sin, by the sin of Adam and Eve and every other sinner who has followed Adam and Eve. Okay? And so Jesus comes preaching the gospel of God, the good news of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Galatians tells us that Jesus came in the, the fullness of time, at the right time, and, and He showed up as the King, announcing the reign of the King on earth. And along with that, He said, repent and believe in the Gospel. Believe in this good news. This good news about the King, about the Messiah. 
And so let's look at the response that he demands. The response that King Jesus, his, uh, responding to his authority and responding to his uh, message, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a response of repentance. As we've talked about before, repentance means change of mind. The Greek word means to undergo a change in a frame of mind and feeling. To repent. To make a change of principle and practice. Okay? Jesus demands this. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this, this verse. He says, Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Change your life and believe the message. Jesus demands a change of life, a change of thinking, a change of living. He demands that the whole trajectory of our life change and be directed towards Him, towards righteousness, for moving away from self-centeredness to being others-oriented and being God-centered. Jesus calls us to change. And this implies... This implies that there's something wrong with us and in us. There's something broken about the world and not just the world out there, not just the politicians, not just the media, not just all the crime and the violence out there. There's something right in here that needs to change within us. And Jesus demands that. And He not only demands that, He empowers that. He gives us the ability, along with the command, to change your mind, to change your direction. He gives us the desire and the power to change. He changes us from the inside out. We're, we're listening to stories uh, every Sunday morning, and, and I hope you guys sign up, get signed up, and share about how Jesus has changed and is changing your life, and that you would testify publicly, boldly about the change that Jesus has brought in your life. But it starts here with a change of mind, realizing that we're going the wrong way, realizing that, that our thinking has been wrong, realizing that, that we've, we've hurt ourselves, we've hurt others, and, and we've rebelled against God's way, God's design, His, His grain of uh, design for our lives. Okay? And by the way, repentance and change isn't just a one-time occurrence in the life of a Christian. The entire Christian life involves ongoing change that happens. Okay, so, so when the disciples started following Jesus, did they need any more change? I mean, if you just read the, re the rest of the Gospels, the three years that they were rowing with Jesus you'll see that these guys were significantly flawed followers who needed ongoing change. Okay, They needed ongoing redemption, ongoing grace and mercy and cleansing and healing and freedom and, and change of thinking. At, at one point, Jesus has to rebuke Peter because he's not mindful of the things of God. He's, he's mindful of the things of man. Right at one at one point he has to correct his his disciples because they're wanting to call down fire from heaven and and see people destroyed because they rejected the message, or or uh, he's wanting he's trying to he corrects the disciples for for telling uh, uh, wanting to stop these other guys from casting out demons because they weren't a part of the original twelve. 
He has to correct their understanding because they're, they're arguing. There's tension among them about who's greatest. Who's greatest amongst the twelve? Who's greatest? Who gets to sit next to Jesus on, on the right and the left? Right? And Jesus has this ongoing teaching and, and, and discipleship is, is the process of, of developing and changing by the grace of Jesus, by His power working in our lives. And as we read this gospel, we'll see lives that change from significant uh, sickness, uh, demonic oppression, um, sinfulness, and G- their life intersects with Jesus, and Jesus changes them. Because that's what happened when the kingdom of God comes into a life. Jesus becomes king, and He rules in the hearts of those who experience and enter the kingdom of God. He came to bring the kingdom. Amen. Let me just read this um, satire. Um, you guys are familiar with the book of the uh, prayer, the common book of prayer. Um, this is a, a prayer of general confession from the old book of common prayer. Okay? This is meant to be sarcastic. Okay? Benevolent, benevolent and easygo, easygoing father. We have occasionally been guilty of errors of judgment. We have lived under the deprivations of heredity and the disadvantages of environment. We have sometimes failed to act in accordance with common sense. We have done the best we could in the circumstances. And we have been careful not to ignore the common standards of decency. And we are glad to think that we are fairly normal. Do thou, O Lord, deal lightly with our infrequent lapses. Be thy own sweet self with those who admit that they are not perfect, according to the unlimited tolerances which we have a right to expect from thee. And grant us an indulgent, as an indulgent parent that we may hereafter continue to live a harmless and happy life and keep self-respect." Okay, this is meant to confront a mentality that wants to shape their image, shape God as a pushover who doesn't care much about sin, who doesn't take sin seriously. See, as we've talked about, our God is a holy God, and He is also gracious and loving and merciful. Okay? But the, the mercy and the grace of forgiveness is experienced not by those who make excuses for their sins, but those who want to self-justify. The grace and the mercy experienced is by those who are, are willing to admit that they've sinned against the Holy God. And they've, they've, they've violated God's ways. They've, they've gone against the grain of God's design for their life. When we confess our sins, when we acknowledge, we've blown it. We're met with mercy and grace. God forgives sins, not excuses. God forgives sins, not excuses. And repentance involves us coming to this place of acknowledging, agreeing with God. I've blown it. I've messed up here. I've done wrong. My thinking was wrong. My responses were wrong. And God meets us with His mercy and His grace. And He meets us with the power. Not only, not only forgiveness of our sins, but power to change. Power to break the life-controlling habits that sin enslaves people to. 
the gospel provides us salvation that, that, that means not only forgiveness and pardon of sin, but power to walk in victory over it, dominating our lives. Jesus makes us new creations. Okay? And we follow, we respond with a change of mind and that He empowers, and we respond with faith. Faith in the gospel, not faith in ourselves. Repentance is incomplete without faith. And it's not just mental, um, mental faith. It's not just a mental assent and just an acknowledgement in our minds. Like, yeah, I believe this or that. But it's a trust. It's like, like when you sat down on that chair this morning. You put your trust in that chair to hold you up. We have to put our trust in Jesus. And that is an ongoing thing for us. Just like repentance is, or change of mind, the renewal that we experience as Christians, those who are righteous live by faith. Romans 1.17 tells us. And so the way of Jesus, following Jesus, involves us turning away from our sin and continually, continually trusting in Jesus and what He's done for us to rescue us as our King, as the servant King who gave His life as a ransom for many. Who gave His life as a ransom for you and me. Amen? And so the message and the authority of Jesus demand a response. The response is repentance. The response is trust, faith, belief in the gospel, not belief in yourself. Many religions and many people look to themselves for salvation. Look within for salvation. And think that if they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, if they could just be more disciplined, more focused, get the right circumstances that they, they can better themselves and they can achieve salvation. But one of the distinguishments between Christianity and other religions is Christianity isn't us trying to work our way up to God to obtain salvation. God comes down in His grace through Jesus Christ and He gives grace and mercy that saves and rescues those who trust, who just simply believe and respond in faith. Okay? So the message and the authority of Jesus demand a response. Notice in verse 17, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Verse 18, And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. I love this, how many times Luke or Mark uses the word immediately. Immediately, he just he has this concise description of Jesus' ministry, and he's talking about uh, just the actions of Jesus and, and the responses and this response was immediately. And this is an, this is an appropriate response to, to, to Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, when we get a glimpse of who He is, to, for, it's appropriate for us to respond immediately with allegiance, with commitment. Notice how Jesus cast vision, a bigger vision for their lives probably than what they had. They were fishermen. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with that. They were working, uh, living their lives, probably just experiencing the ordinary aspects of life as fishermen. But Jesus cast this vision for something bigger and something greater than just their, their vocation. Something that's, that's, that's greater. And of course, He called them to specifically the vocation of ministry. But he calls every person, whether, whether you're called, as a Christian called to vocational ministry or not, he calls every person to follow him and to become 
a fisher of men. To become those who are thinking not just about themselves, but thinking about others. He casts vision for their lives that's loaded with purpose. Perhaps these fishermen were just existing and, and experiencing life. And Jesus is calling them to come and live and be fully alive and following Him and becoming fishers of men. Now, I, I must admit, I like to fish. Um, I like to catch fish. I don't like to wait hours and hours and not catch any fish at all. It's not fun. Actually, my favorite ex- fishing experiences have been with my children at this small pond that was stocked with lots of perch, and we caught like 18 fish within an hour. That's the kind of fishing I like. Keep it coming. Keep biting. You, you know, but I like catching bigger fish. But there's something exciting about that. There's a thrill that comes along with getting a fish on the line and reeling it in. And there's this challenge. But you've waited for it. You've waited for it. They start biting. They're pulling. And you get that fish. And that's, that's kind of exciting. Right? And how much more exciting when you, when you have the privilege of introducing somebody to Jesus and the whole trajectory of their life changes. The, the marriage that was in shambles gets restored. The addictions that were dominating that life are broken. The, the insecurities and all the, the brokenness, start, they, they start experiencing healing and wholeness. And, and people start coming alive and living as God designed them to live. What an exciting thing to be a part of. And if, if we think Christian, if, we, if we're in a place where we think Christianity is boring, perhaps we're not following Jesus in this way. Because He calls us. He calls us to engage on mission. And that's one of our values here, to, to missional living. One of our values is missional living and radical discipleship. Okay, and this little section here hits on that. So Jesus cast vision for their lives. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I love also too about uh, this about Christianity is that, that through the grace of Jesus and through the work of Jesus, He makes us who we are. We don't have to do what the world does, striving to achieve and accomplish something to become somebody important. In Christ, we become, we, we have this new identity and we become important. We are important to God. We become children of God, loved by God. So they followed Him immediately. And that's an appropriate response. They left their nets. They left their boats. They took off. we got um, John, James and John here. we got uh, Andrew and Simon here. And they left and followed Jesus. Notice here this call to discipleship. Okay? Uh, here's a couple quotes from a guy named Clyde Snodgrass. He says, Faith in Christ, worth the name, by necessity, means discipleship with all its consequences. Okay, he connects this, this faith, this trust in Christ, with following Jesus in discipleship. Faith in Christ, worth the name, by necessity, means discipleship with all its consequences. Discipleship is no light matter in urgency An urgency of the call does not diminish the seriousness of the commitment. 
Okay? Jesus calls us to lose our lives, to die to ourselves, to, to surrender to His way of thinking and to His way of life. He comes to take over as King every aspect of our lives. He comes to reign in us. Snodgrass goes on and he says, Discipleship is more than acquiring head knowledge and memorizing Scripture verses. It is learning to give Jesus Christ total access to your life so that He will live His life through you. Discipleship is not about humans straining on their own. It is the necessary result and consequence of faith in in, and following after Jesus. Relationship to Christ activates and empowers the whole life. But humans do not choose to act and actually act. If humans do not choose to act and actually act, nothing happens. And so we, we see here God's part and our part. It also involves allegiance to Christ. Later on in, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is a universal call. Every Christian is called to follow Jesus. Girls, are you all listening? Okay. And following Jesus starts with us listening to his call. Tuning our ears in and our hearts towards his commands and his demands for our life. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. It's from mere Christianity. If Jesus really is who he says he is and who the Bible affirms that he is, then it's only right that we respond to him with full commitment and surrender. And he's worth it. Secondly, the message and authority of Jesus was displayed with power to heal and to deliver. Notice verse 21. We'll continue reading in Mark 1. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out uh, with a loud voice came out of him. So Jesus displays his authority as the king. He has this run-in with the powers of hell, with a demonic spirit who had oppressed and, and possessed this man who happened to be in church. Okay? Anybody ever experienced something like that in church or somebody who seemed demon-possessed in church? I know I have more than once, and it can be quite a disturbance. But Jesus wouldn't tolerate it. Jesus wouldn't tolerate the demonic spirit bringing distraction from one, and, and, he, and he wouldn't, 
and he wouldn't allow it to continue and uh, witness. I mean, the, the Spirit seems to know who Jesus is better than many others. Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? If, if I know that you are the Holy One of God. Okay? And he rebukes the Spirit. Now, now we see the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness clashing. Now, and remember, Jesus had already spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness where he went toe-to-toe with Satan himself and was tempted by the devil. And he won the victory over each one of those temptations. And so Jesus is bringing kingdom victory over darkness. And in his own life, personally, there was no compromise. There was no darkness. And so he, he walked in authority, he walked in purity, and he didn't allow those demonic spirits to have the reign whenever he was around. Because Jesus changes the atmosphere, Jesus changes the trajectory of people's lives. Now Mark is, Mark is highlighting already in chapter 1 the, the reality of the spiritual realm. Okay? That Satan, okay? Um, angels are mentioned at the end of, uh, I think, verse 13, Jesus was ministered to angels after that time of fasting. After he was tempted, he was strengthened and ministered to by angels. We have this unclean spirit. Okay, We have the, the Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus at his baptism. And the Father saying from heaven, this is my beloved Son. And so Mark's, Mark's giving us a glimpse of the reality that there's this spiritual world all around us. And there's this spiritual battle that we're, that we're in as well. But Jesus brought victory over the powers of darkness. He didn't let, let, let them have their way. And notice in verse 27, uh, they were amazed. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. See, here we, we have the, the authority of Jesus being highlighted. He not only proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, He displayed the power of the kingdom of God. He displayed the authority of the, of the, the kingdom of God by commanding evil spirits to leave this person. Whoever this guy was got his life back. Got restoration, got deliverance. What a beautiful thing that is when you got somebody who's out of their mind and, and, and they're just they're a troublemaker. They can't function. They, they hurt themselves and they hurt relationships around them. And Jesus shows up and delivers them from that darkness that's controlling their lives. The Spirit obeyed Him. And we also see that, that the, the, the creation itself obeys Jesus. Later on, Jesus speaks to a storm, and the storm is still. So we see the authority that comes from this man who is the King, the Son of God, the Messiah. Okay? The other thing is I want to highlight is in the last couple of verses here, uh, 35 through 39, was that Jesus modeled healthy rhythms of life and ministry. 
Verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, and he went out to a desolate place where he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. He went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So we see Jesus in action, bringing the kingdom of God on earth. And how does he do it? He does it through preaching. The means of preaching. He does it through prayer. He gives his, 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 every morning he's spending time with his heavenly father in prayer, in a quiet place. He doesn't let the popularity and the fame that's spreading bring him into an unhealthy place where he's just always in the spotlight and not having that time of solitude and silence and communion with the Father. Jesus modeled for us a healthy rhythm of life and ministry. Okay? Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He stayed in tune with the Father's timing and he didn't let human agendas eclipse the Father's agenda for His life and for His ministry. This is important because there are lots of cultural demands upon us that, that come upon us from family, okay, from our culture, that can eclipse and hinder us being uh, fully functioning in the Father's agenda for our lives. And the key for you and I to, 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 to prioritize the kingdom of God, to, to be centered on Jesus and, and, and our relationship with God is spending time alone with God in prayer. Having moments of silence and solitude and communion with God where we can pour out our concerns, our frustrations, our disappointments, our fears and our doubts. Where we can pour out our desires and our hopes. And bring those things to God in prayer, requesting help that we need. You see, when we live our lives without prayer, it's a statement of arrogance and pride to God. Like, I got this. I got this. And oftentimes, we, we let prayer be the last resort. Once we've messed things up, the, the, the project up that we had for the day. The work that we had for the day. The relationship that we... The conflict that we tried to work through on our own. But we didn't even pray about it. We didn't even say, God, would you come into this... Would you... I invite you into this conversation we're going to have today. God, would you help me as I'm trying to lead my children through, through all this, 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 these struggles that we're having right now. God, would you help me with this work situation, this project that's just not going well right now? Will you give me wisdom? Will you guide me? I can't do anything apart from you. You see, Jesus lived this, life, this prayer life. And it's what helped sustain him through all the pressures that were coming his way. It's important that our being with God... Is, is substantial enough to sustain our doing for God. Okay? If our doing for God becomes greater than our being with God, we become spiritually and emotionally deficient. 
And we have little to give to those around us because we're running on fumes. We're operating on fumes. And Jesus is saying, hey, come to me. I'll give you rest. And Jesus modeled for us a healthy life, spiritual life. A life who stayed in communion with the Father. A life that didn't allow all the expectations of others to get him out of sync with the Father's agenda. I mean, you know, in the other Gospels, like his mom is like, hey, turn this water into wine. Do this miracle here. And he pushes back, right? You know, there, there, there's, there's all these pressures on him to do certain things. Even Satan himself tempted him to do certain things, to use his power to do unauthorized miracles that the Father hadn't directed him to do. And he pushed back on it. He recognized and discerned because he stayed in this, this, this communion, this connection with the Father. And you, if Jesus lived like that, how much more do you and I need that? That connection. Living in communion with Him. So Jesus brought the kingdom of God on earth through preaching. Through prayer. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Your kingdom come, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So He brought the kingdom. The King brought the kingdom through preaching, proclaiming the kingdom. Prayer. Through discipleship. He brought, he brought a team along with him. Okay? He called 12 other men to be with him, to learn from him, to watch him, and he passed the task of mission to them. He let them do it. He let them fail. He let them watch him do it. He gave them the responsibility. But when he went back up into heaven, when He ascended back into heaven, they were to continue the mission. Matthew 28, He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. You go and make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And truly, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. You see, Jesus brought the kingdom like this. Jesus lived... The ultimate kingdom life. He embodied it. He proclaimed the message. And he called us to respond. And notice, notice he didn't stay in, in verse, um, verse 38 and 37. Notice he didn't stay when he had a following. When, when people were excited about the miraculous. When people were excited about what his power. Like, you know, hey, everybody wants to see you and hear you, Jesus. He didn't just stay there. He's like, I got more work to do. I got more work to do. Let us go there. For this purpose I've come. For this purpose I've come forth. That is why I came out. That I may preach there also. Amen. And so let me just close in a couple of application points here. The, the first one is, is this. Embrace repentance and trust in the gospel as an ongoing lifestyle rather than a once-a-time occurrence. Embrace repentance. Change of mind. Change of life. You see, we're renewed. By, by the transform, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Okay? We're changed by the renewing of our minds. That's an ongoing experience for us. 
Okay? And, and the gospel, we don't grow out of our need for the gospel and putting our trust in Jesus and what He's done for us in the gospel. We continue to put our trust there and what He's done for us. It's important that before we hit the, hit the ground trying to do for God, that we first have accepted and believed in what He's done for us to accomplish salvation. That's foundational. Okay? Otherwise, we just have dead works and empty religion. So embrace repentance and trust in the gospel as an ongoing lifestyle rather than a once-a-time once occurrence. Reflect on the authority and the beauty of Jesus and respond with allegiance to Him and follow Him. Does He have the authority to demand anything from your life? If He is the Son of God, if He is the King of Kings, and He reigns, He, he deserves to reign in your heart and in your life. He deserves unlimited access to every closet, every room in your heart where nothing's held back. And He doesn't come to shame us or condemn us. He comes to clean house. He comes to free us. He comes to heal us and deliver us from all the things that have weighed us down and oppressed us, including our own sinful hearts, our own selfishness. And he says, if you follow me, I'll make you become fishers of men. I'll give you something greater to live for than just living for yourself. Self-absorption makes people miserable. And it's, it's an empty life when you're just focused on yourself. Because God has not designed us to be self-centered, self-absorbed, narcissistic human beings. He's designed us to live open-handedly, generously, in love giving mercy and grace. And it's there that we find ourselves fully alive. It's there that we, we, as Eric Liddell says, we feel God's pleasure. He was a runner. He said, God made me fast. And I, I love to run. And I feel God's pleasure when I run. What is it that God's calling you into today to experience His pleasure in, in helping others? And honoring Him. Lastly, cultivate daily moments of solitude and silence before God in prayer. Don't let the demands of your day rob you from getting the time that you need at the feet of Jesus. Avoid letting the Martha Syndrome take over where you get irrita um, irritated and touchy. When people aren't lining up with your agenda, they're not helping out enough. Make sure that you're getting your cup filled at the feet of Jesus. So you're, you're living life out of an overflow, not on deficiency of funds. You're living life out of an overflow emotionally and spiritually. You've got love to give. You've got wisdom to give. Insights to give. You've got grace to give. You've got time to give. You've got something to give. Life works best when we do it God's way. Amen? Kevin. So let's close in prayer. And I'm going to ask Kevin to, to lead here in a response. If you would just uh, quiet your hearts before God and, and ask Him to search you. What, what is the Holy Spirit 
putting His spotlight on this morning in your life. And if He is, He's not doing it to condemn you or shame you. If He brings conviction, it's to cleanse you and to change you. It's to free you. It's for your joy. And it's for God's glory. And though it may hurt, like a surgeon or doctor who gives you a diagnosis of a terrible cancer in your body and we're going to have to cut, we're going to have to cut it out. It's going to hurt. It's going to be a long process. But we can get it. We can remove it. And you can experience life if you let us get it. If you let Jesus reign in you as Lord and Savior of your life, you'll experience abundant life. The alternative is to allow the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. Diminish the quality of your life. And so, Lord, search us this morning and reveal any hurtful way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, a rock and our Redeemer. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in and through our lives. In Christ's name we pray.